Um, you might notice we're a little thinner than usual today. Uh, we, we are uh, eagerly anticipating our, our women coming back from the women's retreat. I'm told it was a sold out event and, and went fantastic. Um, men in the room, if you're here without your wife, that's like 10 extra points for the crown, okay? Just know that. Um, it's good to be with you. Um, you know, I, uh, my, my wife went on this puppy. Jen was uh, gone for the weekend, and I have a whole new appreciation for what the ladies do in our lives. Um, it, was, it was overtime, but I, I figured out halfway through the weekend how to leverage this thing. I, I, you know, it's been pretty warm, and I realized I needed to get the sprinklers turned on, which means I needed to go into the crawl space and go to the other end of the house, take a left. And, and every year, I dread that, right? The knees are killing. I'm way too tall for it. And so uh, halfway through yesterday, I got this really good idea. I said, girls, let me tell you about a magical place called the crawl space. And I kid you not, with a little bit of bribery of chocolate, I, sh I shined the flashlight to the other end of the house, and I said, do you see that? that faucet down. I just need you to go turn that to the right. And uh, we got it done. Let's not tell Jen though. <laughs> oh, buddy. It's good to be with you today. Uh, we're going to turn to John's gospel chapter 10. We're still trucking through our, our series uh, on that book. John's gospel chapter 10. And um, before we do though, let's pray. Let's pray for our ladies on the retreat. Pray for our, our country. Pray for this church. And let's just spend some time um, with the Lord. Let's pray together. God, you are faithful and you are good. Oh, there's so many times, even this week in our own lives, where we can look around and, and see how we have slipped and fallen. Lord, where in our doubts or, or maybe in our distractions, we, we fail to look to you, to trust in you, to put our hope and our faith in you. And yet, God, you call us time and time again back, back to the fold. We praise you for that. Lord, we thank you for uh, this women's retreat this weekend. And we, we do just pray over every one of them coming back home today. Just pray that they would, they would come back rested and, uh, and full of your spirit and joy. And um, Lord, we just thank you for the, the women in our lives and, and what they mean, what they do for us. God, as we gather together this morning, we thank you for the gift that we have to worship you. Lord, I can't help but think about the Holy Land once more where people are not able to worship you right now. Lord, where there is violence and fear and death and sadness and tears and anger and impasse. And Lord, it's a reminder for us that if the holy city can't find peace, this world is still longing for peace. So God, I just pray in Jesus' name that we would first find peace within us and that we would be agents of, of uh, reconciliation and, and love in a world that needs to see it. God, we pray for this church and in this town that, um, Lord, as, as people are gathering here and you are doing a new thing in, in this, uh, this valley, we, we pray, Lord, that you would use every bit of us to glorify you. But God, now we're gonna open up your word. And Lord, we're gonna ask that you would take all the thoughts, all the things past, all the things to come this week, Lord, and you would just help us to lay it all down, set it down at our feet, that we would attune ourselves now to your word. 
God, we thank you that it's living and active when we just pray that you would make it living and active in us. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen, amen. So John's gospel, chapter 10, verses 22 to 42, 22 to 42. Let's now hear the word of the Lord. At that time, the feast of dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter. And Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in my father's name bear witness about me, but you don't believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. I and the father are one. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, I've shown you many good works from the father. For which of them are you going to stone me? Then Jesus answered them, or the Jews answered him, it is not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you being a man, make yourself God. Jesus answered them, is it not written in your law, I said you are gods? If you called them gods to whom the word of God came and scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him who the father consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said I am the son of God? If I am not doing the works of my father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. Again, they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. He went away again at, across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at first, and there he remained. And many came to him, and they said, John did no sign, but everything that John said about this man was true, and many believed in him there. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Well, I have this reoccurring dream that visits me every so often, um, and I need you to know you're in it. Um, in this dream, I'm standing right about here, and you're sitting right about there. And because it's my dream, you're on the edge of your seat, ready to hear God's word, eager and excited. But in this dream, I look down at this pulpit, and suddenly I realize I don't have a sermon. There's no papers, no notes, I have no plan. In fact, it appears in this dream that I forgot to write one entirely. Not only that, but I've, I've misplaced my Bible too. So I begin praying this long, drawn-out prayer because I have no idea what I'm going to do next. Somewhere in the prayer, I realize well, I have memory verses. So I say, amen, I pull a verse from the back of my mind and I share it with you confidently as though this was the plan all along. But just as I begin to finish the scripture, you realize I'm winging it. I know it. And now you know it. And for a moment, the dream seems all too real. But then I wake up and it's Tuesday. <laughs> Almost every time it's Tuesday. Do you know why? Wednesday is my sermon prep day. My mind's already turned on and thinking about what I'm going to preach. 
Psychologists say reoccurring dreams hit nearly 75% of adults throughout their lives. The dream might look different over time, but most of them come with the same repeating themes. You're late to work. You missed the exam. You're falling from the sky. Someone's chasing you. But apparently these dreams, they indicate some sort of unresolved conflict in our minds. Mine being the sermon's not done until it's preached. Billy, you ever had these before? He's with me. All right. But you wake up, right, in these dreams, and even for a moment, you wonder, is it real or is it not? And it's not always a nightmare. Sometimes these, these reoccurring dreams are good dreams. Maybe it's of a past vacation or a, a past loved one now gone, and, and for a moment, you can touch their face again, or, or you're back in that place where you enjoyed your life again, and you wake up wondering, is it real? In our lesson this morning, it was the celebration of Hanukkah, the the middle of winter in Jerusalem. And outside this temple, Jesus was walking around in this place called Solomon's Portico. He's pacing back and forth, the Bible tells us. It was a popular place that time of year because this, this porch shielded the crowds from the cold winds. And you can imagine there's a crowd there as usual gathered around Jesus. And he's just wrapped up this lesson on what it means to be sheep. And what it is that he's the good shepherd. The religious leaders, they come around him and they've decided they've had enough. They've heard these same themes over and over again, right? Like, Like a reoccurring dream, they keep watching this scene play out again and again and again, but they're convinced, I'm not sure this is real. They wanna know, Jesus, who are you? Is this a conjured up vision or are you real? These crowds, they've heard the same lessons time and time again. They've listened to the analogies now and the parables, 10 chapters worth of signs and wonders. They've witnessed the power of this man walking around in Palestine again and again and again. But now they want to know, are you the Messiah or are you not? Just speak plainly, yes or no. Look at this in verse 24. The Jews who were gathered around him said, How long will you keep us in suspense? Just give it to us straight. The word Messiah, you'll remember, it means Savior, right? And you you have to understand, God's people had been longing for this Messiah, this Savior for decades. There was this this earthquake kind of a dream that now appeared in front of them. It It was one that brought about joy and awe and wonder on one hand, and yet it also brought about skepticism and doubt on the other These questioners, they want an answer. Is this actually happening? It seems simple enough, right? They're just asking, are you the Messiah? Just yes or no. It's not a difficult request. And yet at that moment, there was a major problem with this question. See, if you were to answer yes, if Jesus confirmed this wasn't just a dream, he would have been misunderstood. No one was thinking about a a Messiah who dies for the sins of the world. Remember, Israel is under Roman occupation right now at this time. The Jews hated bowing to this foreign power. And to the people on this porch in the dead of winter, the Messiah was thought to be one who would restore the Jewish state and overthrow the emperor. To say yes would be to immediately be misunderstood. In fact, think about this. It's the festival of dedication, as I said, also known as Hanukkah. That holiday still today commemorates the exact picture of a military revolution. 
It marked the victory of the Maccabean revolt back in 164 BC, where the Jewish people had taken their land back from the Seleucid Empire. And on that day, on that celebration of Hanukkah, Judas Maccabeus repurified and rededicated the temple back to the Jewish people. So imagine this holy festival 165 some years later at the same place just outside those temple walls and the Jewish people want to know, is this a dream or is this real? Is this happening? Are you the Messiah or are you not? But to be clear, if Jesus said yes, everybody assumed he was the political Messiah, a warrior for earthly gain. But if he said no, he'd be lying. Jesus was in every sense of the word, the savior. We know that. To say no would be to leave the mission behind. Jesus was in a pickle. I mean, what, what do you say here? Let's look at this. Look at verse 25. I told you, Jesus said, but you don't believe. The works that I do in my father's name bear witness about me, but you don't believe because you're not among my sheep. In other words, a yes or a no isn't gonna do it. My works testify to who I am. You remember the, the story much later after Jesus has died where one of his more skeptical followers are demanding proof about who he is, similar scenario. We've referred to him now a few times in this series. Uh, we so lovingly call him Doubting Thomas. And he sees the risen Christ standing right before him, but he's not sure if this is real or if this is some kind of a weird dream. And I mean, Jesus was long gone, right? Crucified, dead, buried. Thomas said, unless I can physically touch the wounds and see it with my eyes, it didn't happen. So the Messiah comes to Thomas and he says, here's how you know this is real. Put your hands right here, Thomas. The works that I do testify to who I am. The work of the cross is all you need to know I love you. In the seventh grade, um, I was finally old enough to be a volunteer at a local hospital. And I don't really remember how I got into it, uh, but my job was to keep the patients on the pediatrics floor entertained. They gave me this Nintendo 64 and a dolly, so I'd drag it from room to room. And, and my role was to play Mario Karts with the patients. It was a pretty good gig. But one day I'm playing with this boy about my age who's fighting an autoimmune disorder. And somewhere midway through this game, he just randomly asked me, he said, do you think heaven is real? I remember my heart started to pound, right? Remember, I'm like 12 years old. I'm not a pastor. I haven't really had those thoughts before, let alone the conversation. I had no idea what to say. So I said what probably any 12-year-old would say. I just blurted out with some really solid apologetics. I said, well, it has to be real, right? The boy never took his eyes off the screen though. He, he said, I don't know. He said, sometimes I think about it in here and I wonder. I can still hear his voice. You ever have that moment? It seems to me that from time to time, even the strongest of believers, we, we have this moment where we wonder, is this just a dream? I mean, is this real? Not that we've left our faith behind or, or renounced Christ, but that sometime in every believer, there are seasons of faith where things are easy, easygoing and lighthearted. And then there are times where for whatever reason, we are tested with our doubts. The gospel is good news, right? But when you try to wrap your mind around what that kind of news is, it's astounding. This divine creator loved you and I, loved his creation enough that he sends his son, his one and only son, by the way, 
to make a way where there is no way, to pay the cost of our sin so that we might have eternity with him. All you have to do is believe and trust and follow. Can it be? We bury a loved one and we question maybe even for just a moment if we'll see him again, if the story's real. We, we hit a rough patch maybe in our marriage or with our kids or at work and we wonder, Jesus, how, how is it that you're gonna see me through to the other side of this? We're uneasy about the future and we're not sure if we can trust the one who's already led us through our past. You know, Christ gave us seven I am statements in the gospel of John. Seven times he described himself with a metaphor to help us see who he is. These are the seven. I'm the bread of life. I'm the light of the world. I'm the door. I'm the good shepherd. I'm the resurrection and the life. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And I am the true vine. Not once did he call himself the Messiah. Why not? But Jesus said, if you want to know if this is real, my works testify about who I am. It's not a dream. Jesus said, the miracles that I do in my father's name, they're the witness. The, the lessons that I've taught you, the, the works that you've seen, the cross, the wounds, the resurrection, it all testifies to who I am. Conservatively, and scholars debate this, there's at least 333 prophecies in the Old Testament, all of them pointing to the Messiah. Do you know Jesus somehow fulfilled every one of them? Think about the statistics of that. A span of thousands of years of promises written by countless individuals, inspired by God, and Jesus shows up and every one of them are fulfilled. One after another after another. So what do we do with those moments then when we find ourselves in a wrestling match of doubt? Or better yet, let me rephrase my question. What does God do with those moments of doubt? See, there's two sets of people in this passage. There's the unbelieving religious elite, and then there's the sheep. And as sheep, we know Jesus is real. Look at this in verse 27. Christ said, my sheep listen to my voice and they follow me. We've confessed our faith. We're, we're here because we want to follow and live for him. But there's times where something comes our way and maybe even for a moment we're tested. Reminds me of the, the story of the man tormented by demons in the gospel of Mark chapter nine. And that the father of this child is beside himself, right? Just imagine the, the trauma and the turmoil that would come upon you as you're watching your son suffer right in front of you. And here comes the Messiah walking his way. And this boy is writhing on the ground in this moment. And Jesus says to this man, everything is possible for the one who believes. Remember the man's response. He said, Lord, I do believe. Help me with my unbelief. And Jesus heals his son. It's a bit of a paradox, right? I believe. Help me with my unbelief. I have faith. Help me in my doubt. Look at this in verse 28. Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them. They follow me. That part's established. Right, but now look at this. Jesus says, this is how this faith thing works though. If you put your trust in me in moments of doubt, this is how we're gonna play it from here forward. He says, I give you eternal life and you will never perish and no one will snatch you out of my hand. Three promises in one sentence, all the same theme. Jesus says, here's, here's what my works prove, right? This is no dream. When you put your faith in me, no matter what, you will now have eternal life 
You will never perish and no one can snatch you from my hand. In church land, we call this the preservation of saints. That even in your moment of weakness, even with your struggle and doubt, it's Jesus Christ who keeps the faith in his flock. Now, I don't wanna just say it. Let me, let me show you some scriptures to, to back that claim. Look at this in Philippians 1.6. It says, he who began a good work in you will see it through to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So let me just ask, who's doing the work there? You or him? Romans 8.30 says, those who he predestined, he also called. And those who he called, he justified. Those who he justified, he glorified. So from beginning to end, from predestined to glory, who's the actor? 1 Corinthians 1.8 says, and he will sustain you to the end, guiltless on the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. Who is it that washes away your sin? Earlier this week, uh, the girls and I went down to the MSU duck pond and I love spring because there's always something to see there, right? Baby chicks swimming around. But over in the corner, this particular trip, Addie found that mama duck had went belly up. And this is how you know the innocence of the child. She was walking over to it. She said, don't worry, dad, I'll turn it back over. But as, as he went to, to investigate him, there's this one little chick just chirping and swimming around this dead duck over and over again. It would kind of hug my mom and then swim around the lake and then come back and hug my mom again. It was clearly lost, clearly confused. We had been there for a while watching this play out on repeat. And um, Jen said, we're not leaving until I know this thing's okay. To which I said to Jen, I said, how's this going to go? Right? Hardaway Clinic. Uh, yeah, we got a dead duck. We need the team. No, but right at that moment, right, a new mama duck swims by, and I don't know how this works in nature, but all of its chicks are gathered around it, and this mama duck leans in and sort of squawks at this baby chick. And within seconds, we couldn't even figure out which duck was what anymore because it had joined the pack. I feel like that's a picture of our faith. Right? Like a bunch of lost baby ducks, we know this life's going to bring us pain and loneliness and trauma, heartache and doubts, guaranteed. On this side of eternity, we, we will find ourselves time and time again realizing something's not right about this life. But even in your disorientation, Jesus gives us this, this promise. In fact, he's so certain about it, he made it three times over. If you put your trust in me, no one takes you from my hand. You will certainly taste death. You will see it time and time again. But with me, you have eternity. You will never perish. I love how one scholar said it. He said it like this. He said, our continuance in eternal life depends not on our feeble hold of him, but on his grip on us. The promise is not that we won't experience trials in this life. The promise is that no matter what trial comes your way, Jesus will see you through to the end. And it's not just Jesus' grip that has your held, right? This is my favorite part about this passage. It's a mutual grip. It's not just his hand. Jesus says, this is the kind of security you have. Not just me holding you, my father's hand holds you. Look at this in verse 28. He says, my father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one will snatch them out of the father's hand. So which one are you? Are you the Pharisee standing outside the fold or the flock trusting in him despite your doubt? Anyone ever read Pilgrim's Progress before? 
It's such a good read. Um, in this book, John Bunyan gives a, a really powerful illustration of, of what this sort of looks like. Now, Bunyan's main character is Christian. His name is Christian. That would be the church. And, and Christian meets with this teacher known as, named as interpreter. An interpreter's task is to teach Christian how to live his life for Christ. Well, one day they're walking by this fire pit and someone's standing over the fire, just dousing the flames over and over again. He fills this bucket with water and dumps it over the pit. And there's smoke and there's these dark spots here and there. But the fire won't go out. This is a persistent kind of fire. In fact, as he stands watching it, the fire gets hotter and hotter and hotter. So the Christian asks interpreter, how can this be? Interpreter, he says, well, the fire is the work of God's grace put in your heart. But the devil is constantly trying to put that fire out over and over again. Every bucket's a new temptation, a new trial, a new worry, new doubt. Christian says, well, what is it that keeps the fire burning then? Interpreter takes Christian to the other side of the flames and there a man stands with an endless pour of oil back into the fire. Never needs a refill. He says, son, that, that man, that's Jesus Christ. Here's the key, right? If all we see is the water dousing our lives, every time we'll fall into doubt and wonder and despair. Is this a dream? I mean, Jesus, are you real? Are you still here? But if we look to the works of Christ, whether that be in your own life as you look back or the scriptures that prove it to be true, we realize quickly this is not a dream. It's real. Not only so that your, your faith remains, right? But so that it burns hotter and hotter and hotter. As I said, there's two gatherings of people in this lesson. That The first one is the Jewish leaders. They, they refuse to believe in him, to, to believe that this might not be a dream. And the second is the crowds at the end of this lesson as they cross the Jordan River and they think about the works of Christ and they put their trust in him. Maybe our prayer this week, whether it's the first time you've come to faith or the thousandth time, Lord, I believe. Help me in my unbelief. Let's pray that prayer together. Will you pray with me? God, I just want to ask that whatever it is that we are going through right now, Lord, whether it's grief or anxiety, worry, fear, temptation, Lord, that you would help us not to look on those buckets of water, Lord, but to be reminded of the constant fire that we have in Jesus Christ. Lord, in those moments of doubt, we, we pray, forgive us, God, and we, we just acknowledge and confess that we, like sheep, have gone astray. And yet, Lord, we, we walk right back into the promise this morning of your word that when we find ourselves in doubt, it's you who keeps the faith in us. So Lord, I just pray, would you sustain us, equip us, lead us. God, give us the encouragement to run the race that you set out before us. Lord, I pray for those in our lives who the doubt is so overwhelming, they can't trust, they can't believe. And I just ask, Holy Spirit, would you move on them that they could trust in you and believe in you. And Lord, that when there are those moments of doubt, God, that you would just pour the oil right back into our lives again.
and remind us of who it is that holds us firm in his grip. Lord, we thank you for that kind of love for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.